Welcome to Inside the BACB, the official podcast of the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Inside the BACB. Uh, I'm Dr. Jim Carr, the organization's Chief Executive Officer, and I'm joined today by our Director of Ethics, Dr. Tyra Sellers. Hi, hi, everybody. So we're excited for this episode because we are here to announce the publication of our new ethics code for BCBAs and BCABAs, the ethics code for behavior analysts. So this represents the third major version of our ethics codes for BCBAs and BCABAs. Uh, The first was the guidelines for responsible conduct for behavior analysts that was originally published back in 2001. It was revised a couple of times. Uh, The second is our current code, the Professional and Ethical Compliance Code for Behavior Analysts. Now, we've revised our ethics code over the years when changes in the profession suggested it was time to do that. Uh, We also periodically review our ethics codes as part of the ongoing review of all of our certification requirements. This process is mandated by our accrediting organization, NCCA. Now, before we talk about the new code, I want to mention to our listeners that episode six of Inside the BACB is a deep dive into the history of our various ethics codes. Uh, We also have a brand new section on our ethics resources webpage where you can see a timeline of the various ethics codes and access all of the historical documents. I think these historical resources are particularly important for people who are teaching ethics and for behavior analysts who want to learn more about how our ethics standards have evolved over the past two decades, you know, and this is the time when our profession has really started to come into its own and grow considerably. So now back to the new code. Uh, Tyra, would you please tell our listeners about the goals we had for its development? Hey, thanks for that great summary, Jim, about what led up to this project and information about those new historical documents. The main driving goals for this current project really were to produce a more streamlined code in terms of its organization, readability, and enforceability. We also decided it was important for us to identify and describe the primary guiding principles that form the foundation of the code. Obviously, all of those goals were housed in the overarching directive to improve consumer protection wherever we could. Yeah, thanks, Tyra. Well, you know, that's the mission of the BACB is consumer protection. So this is just a part of that. You know, whenever we announce a new set of requirements for our certificates, uh, the announcement is really part of a long and very detailed process that includes a large number of moving parts. And, And all of these moving parts are designed at the outset of the project. So Tyra, would you please tell us what some of our process goals were for this particular code revision project? You know, to be honest, this project started in a general way well before I ever even began at the BACB in the fall of 2018. You all at the BACB were collecting feedback that individuals passed along to staff members, as well as, you know, keeping track of ideas and thoughts that related to possible revisions and additions. Mm -hmm. So it was really nice when I started to be handed a compendium of feedback and concerns that had been collected over the years since 2014 when the current code was published. So we really wanted to ensure that the code revisions were heavily informed by two primary sources. The first one was feedback from stakeholders, you know, the folks that apply the code on a day-to-day basis in practice, dealing with all of those difficult situations, and those that teach the code content. And then the second primary source was other professional codes. So codes from other related professions, looking at how they were structured and how that content has evolved to be responsive to and reflective of current professional needs. So 
back to the main components of the project, those were overseen by me and two other BCBADs in the ethics department, Dr. Sarah Lichtenberger and Dr. Holly Seniak. And it included a structured review of the codes from several related professions, uh, stakeholder surveys, work groups with a truckload of subject matter experts, and endless hours of reading, rereading, editing, and streamlining, which you were involved with along the way, Jim. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> so many hours. You know, as we started, though, uh, the BACB has always, in the past when conducting reviews or revisions to the codes of ethics, uh, started with a structured review of codes from other related helping professions. And this time we identified 11 different codes. Uh, some of them were the American Psychological Association, Canadian Psychological Association, American Counseling Association, uh, the American Speech Language Hearing Association, the National Board for Certification in Occupational Therapy. So lots of mouthfuls there. Um, but, you know, reviewing a large number of related professions codes allowed us to take a look at the overall structure of those codes in relation to our own look at specific content and recent revisions that those professions have made. So from that review, we then made a list of ideas or specific areas for changes to the code structure, content that needed to be revised, or things that might need to be added. Thanks, Tyra. Yeah, getting back to the feedback from stakeholders. So we sent out some surveys. Yes, we did send out some surveys. And uh, so we did this in late 2019 and early 2020. Uh, we sent surveys to various groups. One group was a group of regulators. These are licensure board representatives, behavior analysts, licensure board representatives. We sent uh, a survey out to a group of behavior analysts with expertise and specialization in ethics, uh, as well as those who teach uh, ethics. And then we sent a survey out to every BCBA and BCABA. So collectively, what kind of response did we get? Yeah, so we were pleasantly surprised and somewhat shocked to get just under 5,000 responses. Wow. So we had to catch our breath from that. Um, but, you know, specifically, we heard back from 4,728 individuals. Uh, and in terms of what we did with the responses, well, uh, we read them all, all of them. And we did our best to code them for themes across code elements and track responses that indicated, you know, things that needed to be added if possible, including comments around the overall structure of the code, ideas that folks had for pieces they felt were missing. And then once we got through all of those responses, we started to create an actual draft revised document that reflected needed changes and additions from all of the work up to that point, surveys, reviewing other codes, all of the information that folks at the BACB had been collecting. So this is the point where you brought in uh, a number of subject matter experts, right? Yes. Yeah. We received um, and benefited from significant intellectual contributions of a total of 28 SMEs over several small group meetings during this process. What kind of SMEs did you put together to help shape the code? Well, you know, we wanted to adhere to our goals of making sure we had broad input. So we had individuals that represented a broad variety of practice areas. We had individuals who engage in 
significant amount of teaching and scholarly work around ethics, as well as individuals with expertise in diversity, equity, and inclusion. All right, so uh, on to the code itself. So the title of the document is The Ethics Code for Behavior Analysts. We wanted to go with a code that would have more of an evergreen title and be relevant over time. Uh, I suspect that we'll retain this title in future iterations and we'll probably at some point have a 2.0, a 3.0, that sort of thing, rather than uh, additional changes to our documents because we've had three major ethics codes for BCBAs and BCABAs and three different titles. So I think we've settled on this one. You'll notice that the the title is not ethics code for BCBAs and BCABAs. Uh, <laughs> and this is because that phrase, BCBAs and BCABAs, is a little cumbersome. Uh, and so throughout the code, we define upfront who is covered by the code. And it is not a code that every behavior analyst has to follow, but it's a shorthand that allows us to be a little bit more economical uh, in the document itself. Now, when you first read the new document, you're going to notice some pretty big differences. The first one is that there's a much longer introduction section than in the current code. So, Tyra, would you please describe a little bit about what's in this introduction? Yeah, I would love to. This is a major change, and it's one I'm pretty excited about. We got great feedback about the need for an introduction and ideas for an introduction. So when you all are reading this, you will see that there's sort of just a, a general couple paragraphs that sort of frames the code document and tells you a little bit about what you're going to find. Then there's a section that describes the scope of the code. So this serves a couple of uh, different purposes. The first is to really indicate to whom the code applies. So again, it applies to board certified behavior analysts and assistant behavior analysts and those with full applications. But it also talks a little bit about what kinds of behavior it applies to. So it's pretty specific that it, you know, is looking at and meant to inform behavior analyst professional behavior. And then there's this really exciting section called core principles. And that section describes, well, it names and describes four core principles that we landed on that are guiding principles for the remainder of the code. These are aspirational things that we all as professional behavior analysts should adhere to. And that includes benefiting others, treating others with compassion, dignity, and respect, behaving with integrity, and also ensuring our competence. After the principles section, there's a section that talks about application of the code. So how does this code apply? How should folks interact with and apply the code to their work? Mm -hmm. And there's a little section on sort of ethical decision making just to provide some general steps that folks can use when they're faced with an ethical dilemma and or if they're teaching other individuals how to deal with this content or apply this content to case scenarios or what have you in a class or, you know, during field work practicum or any kind of clinical teaching activities. Thanks. That was a great summary, Tyra. And so right after the introduction, we have kind of a, a section that is unusually placed. Yes, we sure do. After the introduction, Surprise, you will find the glossary. We actually moved the glossary to come before the code standards in the hopes that folks will interact with it a little bit more frequently and in a meaningful way as they jump into the standard information. 
So being familiar with the definitions is really critical to understanding, interpreting, and applying the code standards. And in terms of the glossary, we basically just cleaned up definitions and added in a few that were necessary to help certificates and others better understand the scope and application of the specific standards. Okay, and then after the glossary, we get to the actual ethics standards. Now, these are organized into six sections, which is down from 10 in the current code. And the current code has 169 elements, and this includes all the various sub-elements as well. For the new code, we actually have 85 uh, ethics standards. So it is a, a leaner, uh, more efficient code. And I think once folks start to read that, they'll, they'll notice that. Now, there are many changes. Uh, structural rewording and we just can't describe them all here but we'll, we'll mention a few so section one is responsibility as a professional yeah so the standards in this section focus on the general responsibilities of the professional behavior analyst basically they provide the overall expectations that inform some of the subsequent specific standards I'm just going to point out two. Y'all are going to have to calendar some time and really read through the code, but we are going to highlight a few here. I'm particularly excited about the new standard 1.07, cultural responsiveness and diversity. This standard's brand new, and it was added to clarify that behavior analysts have a responsibility to actively participate in professional development activities related to cultural responsiveness and diversity. This standard also requires behavior analysts to evaluate their own biases, their own abilities, and those of their supervisees and trainees related to serving individuals with diverse needs and from different backgrounds. The other one in section one that I'd like to highlight is 1.12, giving and receiving gifts. Now, why would I wanna highlight this specific <laughs> standard? <laughs> Well, it's been the topic of a lot of conversations in our profession, and rightly so. This standard has been significantly revised, really in response to a lot of feedback and reviewing other codes. Um, so it's been revised to indicate that gift exchange is allowable. Gasp, I know everybody, sit down. <laughs> provided that the monetary value is under 10 US dollars or the equivalent kind of purchasing power in another country's currency. And this standard also describes the conditions under which um, gift giving might become problematic. So this isn't a, a green light, but it does provide an opportunity to be culturally responsive and engage with folks in a meaningful way, but also provide some guidelines around how you can do that and avoid conflicts of interest. Yeah, thanks, Tyra. And I think this is a good example of being responsive to feedback. We got a lot of feedback about this uh, code element from the 2014 code, but also how that has been interpreted uh, by the community. And we tried to address some of this in a follow-up uh, newsletter article, but I think uh, our listeners will find that the uh, new code standard 1.12, giving and receiving gifts, uh, is going to be a lot more tactically useful and helping to guide their decisions around this. Yeah, I agree. Okay, section two is responsibility and practice. This section is uh, all about the responsibilities of behavior analysts in relation to practicing within the profession. Like section one, these are sort of overarching or umbrella responsibilities that inform some of the standards in the remaining more specific sections of the code. Mm. 
So the standard I'd like to highlight in section two is 2.08, communicating about services. In this standard, we revised it to enhance consumer protection by requiring behavior analysts to ensure comprehension of the information that they communicate to clients, stakeholders, supervisees, trainees, and research participants. It's a nice functional approach to this kind of communication. All right, uh, section three is responsibility to clients and stakeholders. So section three includes standards describing responsibilities that certificates have to clients and stakeholders in their practice of behavior analysis. There are quite a few changes here. I'm not going to go through all of them, but you know we have some specific changes around the sections that talk about third-party contracting, a responsibility with those third-party contracts. Also, some changes and sort of specification around the former code section dealing with continuity of services or discontinuing or transitioning services, and those have been broken out and updated um, with information that needs to be shared with clients and stakeholders and the steps that folks should be taking in each of these circumstances. Yeah, I think folks are going to find these revisions particularly helpful. Section four is responsibility to supervisees and trainees. Okay, so this section, based on the title, is fairly self-explanatory, and it describes the certificate's responsibilities to those that they supervise and train. There have been a lot of changes and expansions from the current code that reflect the critical importance of providing high-quality ethical supervision and training practices. Lots of changes in this section. I'm going to just highlight two. 4.03 supervisory volume. This standard has been revised to include more considerations to assist behavior analysts in evaluating their supervisory capacity, as we've got lots of feedback from the profession around how to do that. And then 4.07, incorporating and addressing diversity. So this standard is new and focuses on setting the expectation that behavior analysts really have to include topics related to diversity into their training and supervision activities. And section five is responsibility and public statements. Yeah, this section focuses on the expectations around making public statements and using social media platforms. Again, there are a truckload of changes here, a lot more specific information. Um, 5.03 in this section is public statements by behavior analysts, and it includes language clearly indicating that behavior analysts do not give out advice about specific client needs in any kind of public forum. There are several changes to the standards around using testimonials and advertising. So you'll find those between standards 5.07 and 5.09. And those standards, they include some specific clarification that should guide behavior analysts about the different requirements and steps that should be taken when soliciting and using testimonials and um, considerations around advertising. And then 5.10, is social media channels and websites. And this standard is really important because it provides a clear distinction between professional and personal websites and social media channels. And it also includes, again, some of those considerations and ethical requirements related to using these platforms in our professional practice. Thanks, Tyra. Uh, you know, one of the changes we made to our section uh, on public statements is that, uh, and really the entire code, is really every 
new ethics standard is enforceable. And in our current professional and ethical compliance code for behavior analysts, we do have some standards that are, you know, ostensibly enforceable, but practically because of free speech rights, there have been limits to what we can right. do. We, we get a lot of uh, notices of alleged violation against uh, behavior analysts who are uh, engaged in speech, public speech, that uh, maybe is uh, distasteful or um, otherwise uh, considered maybe unprofessional. And, and certainly when we hear about it, uh, people have deemed it unethical, but there is just a limit to what we can do uh, with free speech laws. And so we went into this new section really looking at what can we clearly enforce and then what we could not clearly enforce has been removed. And so I think what folks you're going to see when they get to the section is a lot of really useful guidance to help shape their public statements. But there are some things that are missing. Uh, but I think that you know the community can know that these are enforceable. That's right. And actually, Jim, if you remember, this is one of the sections where we did a significant amount of research, not only in other codes, but also chatting with folks that are experts in social media and you name it. I learned that social media channels is the appropriate way right. to talk about this. So yeah, this was a section that required a lot of thought and we did a lot of research to try to provide appropriate guidance. Okay, and then the final section is section six, responsibility and research. Yes, and not surprisingly, it outlines the responsibilities required in carrying out research activities. So this section is really important. And, you know, a number of small changes, mostly just by way of clarifications. The two sections or standards that I'll highlight here are 6.03 research and service delivery, which is new and clarifies the requirements related to research conducted within the context of providing actual services. And 6.04 informed consent in research. This standard has been revised to include expectations just around using existing data that one may have collected, for example, during clinical work. Yeah, I think that's going to be very helpful given the the style of our practice and use of uh, single case designs. Yeah. Thanks, Tyra. I think that was a, a great summary of the greatest hits uh, of our new code. So uh, as this episode is being published, here's what's available. Uh, we've also published today a newsletter dedicated to the new ethics code and really covering a lot of the same content we covered in the, the episode today. Of course, the actual uh, code document itself is now uh, available on our website, along with a crosswalk document that shows how each of the new ethics standards relates to the elements in the professional and ethical compliance code for behavior analysts. So Tyra, when does the new code go into effect? So the code goes into effect January 1st, 2022. That gives folks a full year to calendar time, cozy up, read the new ethics code for behavior analysts in detail, get your highlighter out, start making notes in the margins, begin to make any needed changes to things like materials or policies that folks might have in place. Get a whole year. Uh, yeah, so and during that year, uh, our listeners can stay tuned because we'll be developing other resources. Uh, at a minimum, we'll be publishing uh, podcast episodes next year uh, that will cover the, the various sections throughout the year in the run up to 2022. So uh, until then, thanks for listening, everyone.
Bye. Happy reading. Thank you for listening to Inside the BACB. Don't miss future episodes. Subscribe now.